0: I'm Mel Stewart, and this is the GMM Takeover, of the Swim Swam podcast. Joining me today is a three time Olympian, U.S. Olympic team captain, 11 time Olympic medalist, in fact, the greatest Olympian of his era. And today, he is now the manager of the International Swimmers Alliance. Today, we're talking to Matt Biondi. Thanks, Mel. You know, you're nice enough to come on because you do have an update. We're, we're here to talk about the Alliance and, and the work that you've been doing. You've been very, very busy. And, and in fact, this is, uh, this is a bit of a, a celebration, a historic moment and an announcement. What, 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 what would you like to say in your opening statement?
1: Oh, thanks, Matt. I'm just thanks for the opportunity. And, you know, a lot of people have been working very hard for uh, just about 20 months now to start this idea of the International Swimmers Alliance. So back in July of 2019, we got some paperwork together. We filed for a LLC charter corporation and I started talking to swimmers about what the issues were with uh, their training, uh, with funding about autonomy of schedule, um, just open communication with federations and event organizers. And there became a need to pull everybody together to have a single voice. And I think I started with about 13 members. And just after the ISL season in Budapest, we hit 120 members uh, from 31 different countries. So these are not just any swimmers. These are the best elite swimmers from all around the world. So to be a part of the Swimmers Alliance, um, the qualifications would need to be a top 20 uh, world ranking in a long course individual event, and um, or a member of a professional team like the ISL. So we've managed to grow our membership now from -hmm. from 13 to 120 members from 31 countries. And we feel like it's a strong enough organization. We've got enough buy-in from the elite level that we'd like to announce this formation and to see what we can do to improve communication. Excuse me, I think, you know, in this year and a half in talking to the elite level athletes, there seems to be a prevailing um, attitude about um, not necessarily mistrust, but just lack of transparency. I think there's the athletes feel very separated from the federations and from the decisions are being made. And so hopefully the Swimmers Alliance will be accepted at the table. And that more importantly, the swimmers can feel as though their voices are being heard and that they see themselves and their interests reflected in the policies that they are bound to to, to stick to adhere, adhere to.
0: Something that, that um, a lot of fans are asking and, and, it's, and, it's, and it's been addressed before, but this is not a union. This is There's a slight difference, uh, and, and it's not a union, but how would you describe the alliance in terms of uh, the collection of athletes with a seat at the table?
1: Yeah, I mean, officially, it's a swimmers association have the advantage of the collective bargaining agreement that the union would have. We don't have the idea of dues. You're not bound to be a part of the alliance. If you join, it's a non-binding agreement, so you're free to leave at any time if you feel as though... The interest in the direction of the alliance is not something that you support, Um, so we really just an organization, a membership, a partnership of swimmers. that would like to get together and caucus talk and discuss the issues and then have a a a streamline way a a concise way of conveying what it is the swimmers would like to see
0: um. I wanna I wanna get into the details on that and, and just unpack how what, what that looks like and how that's gonna operate. Um just, just out of curiosity, if I'm uh, if I'm competing today and I'm on, uh, you know, can, can do I have to be a part of the alliance to to race in the in an ISL season to be on a professional.
1: No, absolutely not. Yeah, I mean the alliance is should be a free-flowing membership. There's in my opinion, um, at once you've uh, become a professional swimmer once you've left the NCAA or if you have no plans to go into the N- NCAA, you should feel free and and certainly welcome with the right qualifications to join or not to join. Um, one of the, the metaphors that I like is a rising tide lifts all boats. So with this core group of athletes, especially these, uh, we have nine individual Olympic champions, over a dozen world champions. So it's a pretty impressive list of the athletes that you'll see in the upcoming Olympics, hopefully. Um, so um, here we are. We're gonna we're gonna do what we can to promote the sport um, above and beyond just the members.
0: We're gonna get into the details, guys. But we wanna we wanna. Ask some big questions at the, at the front end, and, and, and also frame this conversation so that it, it, it has some historical context because it reaches all the way back to the 1980s. Um, it's my understanding in, in conversations with you off camera that uh, while we, while everyone's signed on, not everyone wants to be public-facing at the moment, but they are, but they're signed on. Can you explain why that's the case?
1: It's one, it's a position that I understand and quite frankly, those swimmers um, are pretty impressive in the sense that they're willing to risk some of their own gains for the greater good, the benefit of the sport. Um, a reason why we need the Alliance is just the fear out there that an athlete would be afraid to sign, um, that the Federation might somehow sanction them or prevent them from, from pursuing their, their livelihood. Um, so the fact that some swimmers, first of all, won't sign at all for fear of reprisal from federations, and then another group will sign, supports the idea, but would just rather remain anonymous. And I would say the majority of our swimmers are forward-facing and they're willing to address questions in the media. And you know, something that was important for me when I started to recruit uh, swimmers into the Alliance is that everybody has the right to take the position that feels good to them. And some swimmers, I even had one swimmer say, you know, I'm not interested in ever making any money from swimming. I just want to swim for love of country and love of sport, and you know, more power to them. That's that's certainly an individual's right. Um, so I just like the idea of putting out this information and attracting those swimmers who are who are of like mind and who are willing to. Maybe go a little further, dig a little deeper to change the sport for the better.
0: Again, we're going to get into the details, but I just I have to I have to add some more context from my witnessing Mapiandi on deck in the in the eighties, in the late eighties into the nineties. Um, when you when you were an athlete and you were and you and you brought this fight to the federation, uh, it, it was heated. There was uh, there were a lot of it was it was. Um, it was that argument like your parents were having and you would you would leave and go hide in your bedroom because and like, no whoa. one's listening.
1: Everybody's talking but nobody's listening.
0: <laughs> and it, it, it's it, finger pointing screaming on deck at international meets. It, it was very, very heated and uh, but you know that you, you also talked to the younger athletes and educated us in a very plain way that made sense. Now, you are a man of a certain age. And uh, you're heading up this organization, and 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 I and it. What I'm reading from from your your mission and your and, and what you shared with me is that there's a there's a lot more wisdom that's being brought to the table. It looks it looks as though you're 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 really focused on collaboration, and uh, and helping the federations, and that is. Um, I'm, I'm wondering how much of that is is, is 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 the press release, and how much of that is 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 real. And uh, I have my own opinions, but I'd like to know from you.
1: Well, hopefully it's both, you know, it's, it's philosophical and it also becomes uh, somewhat practical and, and part of everyday reality, just a healthy relationship. Um, so anyway, going back 30 years ago, I was young and I was idealistic. Uh, I want to change now. I think that was the, the both the blessing and the, the, the crux of youth is to see something need a change and be willing to speak out about it. Um, it's also true that the relationship with USA Swimming was about as poor as it could be, and it, you know it's a shame because for gosh a good seven years USA Swimming had two faces. It was Janet Evans and myself until you guys came along and Summer Sanders and. Um, and I was not a part of USA Swimming and talking to kids. And I think I had a good message. So a lot was lost as a result of that from both sides. And I would hope now in my 50s, and I'm losing my hair, that uh, I, I, kind of, I kind of see that there's a different way to approach things. And hopefully that um, um, sort of the, the olive branch, in the beginning will help soften things and that uh, we can be taken seriously. I think that's important. That was something I felt when I was younger is that we just weren't taken seriously. And then you think about what is the Olympics gonna be without the swimmers? So we, sh- we deserve a piece at the table, right? We deserve a voice. Hopefully, it can, Like I said, hopefully it can be one that's uh, cooperative and beneficial to all parties.
0: Proving economic conditions of swimmers—it's uh, this is a big, big bucket. I, I, we were talking before we started recording, and, and, I, and I was trying to nail down the, the dollars. And, and, and from, from the, the sixty thousand foot level at the IOC, and the numbers that I had were off, but they're big numbers. Um, it, it, I was looking at five billion based on the IOC's website, but it's, it's, it sounds like it's closer to seven billion or more. And what's funny is that it's say it's all, this is the revenue. It's 73% TV rights, 18% sponsorships. Then it's other, and then it's 10% goes to IOC admin. And then 90% that all magically goes to the athletes and Olympic games, um, support. What's the reality of that? What is the reality of that 90%? How, how much of that 90% actually makes it to athletes?
1: Well, I think that's that's sort of the the basis of the formation of the alliance is that we really don't know. I mean, reporters have to do a pretty deep dive into FINA and to IOC and to see how these different layers are are, um, are are associated, what their relationship is, and and how the money trickles down. Um, from what I've seen in review. Um, the, the the fat seems to be in the travel budgets and and um, and real estate renovations. So, it I mean the attitude of the swimmers is that these volunteers are living pretty good lives. They're traveling first class and five star hotels and twenty one course meals. And I think there's a great deal of resentment. And so knowing more about the budget and how it's distributed would I think help the image of the IOC in terms of the swimmers. Um, One of the impetuses for the Swimmers Alliance was the idea of economics. The idea that the Olympics now is um, outside of COVID. If you just think about when we started and what we thought about Tokyo going into 2020 was that the Olympics is generating over $7 billion in revenue. This is a major TV event. And if you think about what percentage of fans who are watching the Olympics favor swimming. During the first week, it's gotta be a majority share. Um, 15%, I think, of the population would would favor swimming of all the sports in the Olympics. So what's 15% of 7 billion? I mean, it's an enormous amount of money. So the idea is that we would, in normal times, be able to negotiate a share for those swimmers who are participating in the finals and the semifinals. In other words, creating the show. The other economic piece is that um, it's possible to be able to create other events, um, which also in this now COVID uh, quarantine is, is also off the table. So our economic goals are still there. It's just our tack now becomes more social with these current event reality of the situation but it doesn't mean that swimmers can't be involved more in information about where the Olympics are. um, What are the biggest issues holding back the IOC from the Olympics? Is there a date when they're gonna say yes or no, we're a go? Um, And with ticket sales and and getting that information out, it, it it would seem as though that date should be fast approaching. So these are the things that the swimmers wanna know now that is a little bit separate from the economics. Um, One last thing about the economics that's really important is that the alliance will only take a portion of the revenue for its own internal um, administration of funds that we create. So if we can negotiate a fee from FINA for the world championships for all the swimmers that participate and prize money for finalists, which currently is zero, then the alliance would get a portion of that. But any funding that's currently out there right now for say the, you know, the FINA champion series or the tier pro series, any of those funds including sponsorships and clinics and any other revenue source that swimmers have that their commercial value stays with them. That's not a part of our Alliance. And that's been a misconception that has sort of, I think gone a little further than it should is that the Alliance will only Take twenty percent of the funds that we can account for, that we create, that currently are not there. Everything else should stay the same.
0: You got it. It has to be a value add. It has to be. It has to be money that is that is over and above what these athletes are, are making now, and that's understandable. Twenty percent is management. It's admin. Uh, you know, it's it, maybe it's not fair, but it's like it, to, to even frame it this way. But it you use 15% of the IOC revenue. That I mean, that that bring comes in at like 120 130 billion dollars. Um, if you have 20% of 130 billion dollars, it's not going to be enough for admin.
1: Well, you know, I you know, even at 100 million, the the payout for the athletes would be significant enough for them to have some financial security. I mean, many of them right now, to be perfectly honest, are living just a little bit better than they were when they were college students. Um, There's not a retirement plan. I mean, healthcare extends um, not necessarily to their significant others or spouses or family members. Um, Each federation seems to be different, which is another issue. Um, Also just about fair treatment of the federations. And there was quite a bit of kickback before the Budapest meet in October with federations that were putting pressure on their swimmers not to go. I mean, this was a great financial opportunity. And unfortunately the Australians for many different reasons um, were not able to partake and probably lost out of about $2 million in total, total revenue that could go to help support the athletes.
0: Last year, the pandemic globally would have been a desert of non-swimming, not a drop of water if it hadn't been for ISL. ISL, you know, was it in terms of real race competition. So it felt like the, the saving grace, I'm sorry to use that description, of the sport. <clears throat> I can tell you on our end, on the, on the media side, uh, it, was, it was very robust, but it was mostly celebratory about, wow, we can watch them from fast swimming. The uh in in terms of in terms of the breakdown uh of of the board that's gonna oversee the alliance, um, it's based on what you share with me, it's my understanding there'll be four athletes chosen, six athletes chosen by the by the swimmers, uh, two admin, four admin, two man four four managers on the management side.
1: Right, uh, four, six six and four.
0: Chosen by the management and um so how, how, does, how does that work? And how did the athletes uh, react to that, that type of board makeup?
1: So when we hit 120 members in Budapest, I held a meeting in the hotel. And um, the, the turnout was much better than I thought. We had all, over 100 swimmers in the room. I think not all of them were members, but that's okay. They were curious to see what was going on. The coaches came and trainers and it's, it's kind of an exciting development in our sport. And it was at that time that the swimmers felt comfortable to be able to move forward, to elect um, six of their uh, peers to represent on the board. So in Budapest, we had a meeting, uh, over a hundred swimmers attended, uh, not all of them members, uh, coaches and trainers. Uh, they came, which was fine, just they were enthusiastic and it's an exciting development in our sport. So it was at that time that the members felt as though we should move forward in establishing the board. And so in December, we issued ballots, the members all had an opportunity to vote. Um, We, of the six, we decided to honor our gender equal, uh, gender neutral um, policy. So we chose three men and limited it to three men and three
0: women this has been a a development and and really been the the wheels have been greased because of the international swimming league. And, uh, it's been, there's been a tremendous amount of support, which is also in the background, it's been legal. And, uh, in, in terms of this evolving into, uh, to what we see now is the Alliance. And it's, um, and I was told when I sat down with, with, with everyone managing the ISL from the outset, they're like, no, we're, we need to have a, a mirror organization, which is an association, a union or association to really balance this out and professionalize what professional swimming should be. And this should reach well beyond the International Swimming League. Um, in, in terms of media reaction and just um, people not having enough information, there's been a lot of people talking, they have their own opinions. They're like, why does, you know, how much power does the ISL have with the Alliance? And there sounds like we have, for board positions. Um, can you address that topic and, and tell me, you know, what sort of uh, autonomy do the athletes have in terms of their relationship with the International Swimming League? How's, how's that relationship gonna work?
1: It's very important to the swimmers, and this was very clear from our meeting in Budapest, that the Alliance is completely autonomous from any federation and any event organizer. And obviously the ISL was named specifically as an organizer. And, you know, the ISL is not perfect. And they'll admit that uh, they have made mistakes. They try to address it. I think what's uh, working so well in that relationship is that the swimmers um, voice is being heard. Accommodations are being made. Um, certainly the health and safety issues were addressed. and. the 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 meat and all the matches were pulled off flawlessly without anybody getting sick and and you know that was an issue that the swimmers had so the alliance really is designed to be completely autonomous and you know the thing that i i that's so crazy to me when when people are resistant to the idea of the swimmers having a voice is that this is happening everywhere in all sports in other Olympic sports, in professional sports. Um, I was just looking that the NFL Players Association, their union started in 1956, but was not officially recognized until 1968. It was 12 years before the NFL owners and um, management would recognize. And now it's totally normal. The referees have their own association to address issues. So this is a very normal, acceptable part of sports in business. And for whatever reason, it's sort of swimming has just managed to stay in that old amateur structure. And it's curious as to the forces that are resisting that change. And I think the more that we go down this road and start to integrate with federations and event organizers, I think we'll find out more and more what those forces are that are preventing swimmers from having a voice.
0: Bringing it back to our listeners, if they're out there, there's some things that you, that that are there are details that you can that you can you can you can put under your hat. Uh, all need, this all revenue for the International Swimmers Association is. Um, that's, that's the budget we're pulling from 80% goes to the athletes only in new dollars. 20% goes to admin. And we're having a situation where um, this is going to be uh, six, six athletes on the board. Uh, we have the names of them. We're going to name them here in a, in a minute. If we can, can we name them? Yes, of course. Uh, if I can
1: pronounce chromo
0: de Jojo. chroma de Jojo.
1: Throwing a yo-yo. So that would be Ranami yeah. for the Netherlands and Leah Neal from the United States and then Katinka Hozu, who, by the way, has been carrying this torch for longer than I started. Uh, she has been holding meetings for probably four or five years now trying to get the athletes together. So this is, this is not anything new that certainly I have the mark on. And then from the guy's side, uh, Tom Shields, who's also been a warrior in working with autonomy over schedule with uh, FINA and um, with
0: ISL. On the board, on the athlete side, we have Leon Kromeda, Kromeda Yo-Yo, Katinka Hozu, Tom Shields. And who's next?
1: Uh, Chad LaClose from South Africa, um, probably one of the most uh, respected and well-liked swimmers amongst the swimming community. And then Brett Hayden from Canada. Um, the senior who um, who had the most first place votes of anybody, so he he was a very popular choice, and we're glad to have his senior leadership.
0: Um, and then we have the so you have you're rounding out the board, but we'll what um, we can get to that later. It sounds like we can pick that up in another interview. The you know what's in in terms of where you know where are those new dollars because you know it's there's the IOC but then the IOC uh, pays they they trickle down their rights revenue to FINA and I've heard that number I've heard a lot of different numbers and it's uh, and trying to get the numbers is not always the easiest thing but at a certain point I thought it was thirty million a quad just from the IOC is that correct
1: i'm not I'm not familiar with the the budget side of things
0: yeah it's a it's a um, it's it's a it's a very FINA has been a very difficult organization to work with when on the media side, we're interfacing all the time. And they, you know, but if you work with USA swimming, lots of communication, swimming, Australia, swimming, Canada, British swimming, uh, federations do a great job. FINA is, uh, is it's, it, it's, it's stressful and, and frankly, annoying and infuriating at times. Um, but I'm a FINA athlete. I'm a FINA world champion. I, I you know, I have, a great affection for FINA, but it's, um, I heard there was 30 million. And I, and I've also heard, and I'm talking to some peers and some people in in the, in the, in the, in the business world that that number really from the IOC should be more on the order of at at a starting point, 300 million. But, um, so there's a question here. The question is, do you, are you sitting, are you, do you sit down with FINA as as a seat at the table, or do you start with the IOC? Are you doing both?
1: Uh, I would hope both. Uh, I would, you know, I would at the very least. I think um, you know, written correspondence could be addressed in a respectful way. Um, hopefully, there'll be in the future some face to face, some relationships to be able to to have a person too that we could be able to talk to. Um, but you know, remember that we're we're still sort of in diapers. You know, crawling along. You know, coffee tables. Um, this is the, the beginning, and it's a long-term process. Uh, realistically, um, for negotiating in the Olympics, you know, maybe Paris would be the earliest, maybe even Los Angeles, I don't know. Um, you know in reality, FINA and the IOC need to take these developments seriously, because at some point they'll realize that their greatest asset are the athletes and what corporation do you know of that doesn't pay their employees anything it's it's a it's a very strange business model and one quite advantageous to the to the organizations that govern them and ultimately the swimmers will have the opportunity and the right to participate in the olympics or not and it's a big stretch for the athletes to think about right now not going to the olympics because there are other events that are um, more interesting and, and, and more profitable for them to be able to go to a business decision. I mean, look at the dream team in 92. You know, their, their, their bread was buttered with the professional league. And the Olympics was fun. And they played golf and helicopter rides and won a gold medal. And then, you know, summertime came and they wanted to rest their knees and spend time with their kids. And rightfully so. The other thing is public opinion. And you know the Ted Stevens Act from the late 90s, trying to inc- increase transparency, communication, athlete representation, accountability for uh, programs that they say they're gonna do. Um, so I think public opinion and politicians would certainly be on the side of letting Olympic athletes um, earn uh, some financial rewards for their participation. And I, you know, the, the, the money is out there. It's just a matter of are we going to respect the athletes, and if they don't, eventually the athletes will have other choices, and the Olympics will slowly fade away.
0: In terms of uh, of, of, of our of our experience when we were competing, you know, you, you've, you've you've taken a few trips to the Olympic Games, three World Championships. When I think back on it, um, a part of my memory is what I call the Blazerotties. Do you know what the Blazerotties are? No, it's the FINA guys. They all wore the blazers and they're everywhere mm-hmm. and they come well in advance of world championships. They're staying in a very swank hotel and they've got their blazers on. And, and, and uh, so a mutual friend, a good friend of yours looked at me and goes, Mel, those are the blazerotties. And his name was Tom Jaeger.
1: <laughs> he was very clever. That guy quite the rascal.
0: Yes. Yes. Uh, but also at the Olympic games, you know, that, so that it puts things in perspective. You're not, you're not fully aware of it, but I also had the the support of you and, and education from you back then, but at the Olympic games when you're, you know, if you're talking to people and you're like, what's the Olympic games, wonderful experience, great to represent your com- country. But at the same time, you're sort of like, this is a massive corporate event. This is a massive cash cow. And there's some sports on the side at, at times it feels like that. And, um, and, and and you feel that the athletes are are lost unless they're huge well, stars.
1: I know many athletes have told me that their accommodations at World Championships, and I'm just not talking about one year. I'm talking about generations of swimmers were you know safe but not comfortable. And I know in Barcelona, I was a cot next to my Cal roommate. And we had the window open, it was 99 degrees and 99% humidity and all we had was a fan. And then I did a press conference in the hotel and all the blazers that you're talking about are in the lobby with hotels that were six, seven, eight hundred $800 a night. And so the swimmers see this and they just wonder, you know, what, who are these people and what right do they have? What did they do? Are they swimmers? Did they win gold medals? Are they coming from that experience or and why are there so many of
0: them? In, in terms of in terms of just your first steps, and in terms of, of where you're at, this sounds like a Herculean task that you have ahead of you. Um, you know, but you're a successful person, a successful athlete. You spent most of your life as as as, as a teacher post Olympics. Um, I have a feeling that there's a methodical approach that you're taking, or, or are you like, oh my God, I'm at the bottom of Mount Everest? And I'm well, I guess you're a little bit further than the bottom of Mount Everest. Now that the athletes are signed on. What, what, what are first steps? Because you, you said you're not, they're probably not going to be negotiating really in a meaningful way until Paris, potentially Los Angeles. What are first steps now?
1: Uh, you know, negotiations economically, I think, cannot happen, but it doesn't mean that our first order of business can't be to sort of probe into this question of the Olympics being canceled altogether. Um, you know, I'm curious if they have an insurance policy, and is, is there a backdoor that they're sort of stringing the public along and the athletes along? And then at the last minute, they're gonna cash out and, you know, have, to um, fulfill the, the insurance policy. I mean, the swimmers just don't know. And so there's a that recent article in the uh, London Times that came out with a Japanese Olympic organizer who was doubtful that the Olympics were gonna go. And then, you know, Thomas Bach has had several press conferences now trying to calm things down, but they just say the general things. It's that, you know, we're proceeding to have a safe Olympics. There's no reason why it can't go on. Um, Meanwhile, the Japanese um, public seems to be growing in their opinion not to hold the Olympics. And boy, it's, if it does get canceled, I think this, where are the swimmers they've given... The last two years to train for the Olympics, and then it's just not right to pull the carpet out from them without them being involved in the decision. So I think, as far as whether the Olympics will go forward or not, that's obviously our first order of business. And
0: what's interesting, though, that that, that that's the elephant in the room. What's interesting is that if they if the athletes have information that they know they can train from, train you know, train from that basis. Um, ISL is going to, we know ISL reacts quickly. They make changes quickly. They act, you know, that, that's something that they've shown that they do. But they, I mean, I know from conversations off camera that the season can be bolstered. There can be, there can be uh, 2021 would be different from 2020 because they can pull it off. There could be more events. And I, I know that's on the table, but uh, everyone's frozen. Everyone is frozen right now, wondering, and and that's, that's, that's very frustrating. The problem for me is the, uh, I think economically, they have to do this. They have, the IOC has to have a game that can't afford to lose two years of television rights revenue. And the insurance isn't going to, isn't going to cover enough. But I don't know the Japanese culture. I don't know. That's an outlier to me because they might not have the, the appetite for this. And this is just a sporting event. Whereas does Their the vaccine
1: employer, yeah. uh, approval, their restrictions, apparently they haven't done enough trials within the Japanese population. So the vaccine there is not operating like it is sort of over here. So that's another factor as well. But I think, you know, when it comes down to it, you know, information, USA Swimming announced this week concrete dates for the Olympic trials and they put some thought into it and they've got two different ways to try to make it as healthy. I mean, that's a good example of concrete information coming out to the swimmers. And it, it, it's, it's, I think it's fair. It's fair that, that we get updates. In,
0: in terms of the, uh, in terms of what you're doing, are you on the road now or is most everything uh, are you, are you sheltered in place and communicating over over Zoom, um, what's, yes. what's your life like right now?
1: Sheltered in place. My big uh, excitement is swimming three days a week. We get out with the masters team, and you know we're two in the lane at opposite ends, and wearing the mask in and out and all that.
0: I would have to say this: you're a brave man. Most most of the time, when you when you have that many Olympic medals and you jump in a masters pool, it's like you've got a target on your back. Everybody's trying oh, to yeah. beat you. In ups yeah. and they days. all do.
1: You know, the the best moment was when my son was at the time I think he was fifteen or sixteen came blowing by me, and that that's a hard day when it when an Olympic champion dad starts losing to his son. Cheat this time, he did it fair and square.
0: Sorry about that. I'm sorry. I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry okay. that I. It's just
1: I'm so- more of the same
0: to come. I'm sorry, but at the same time, I wish I was there because if I'd captured video, I wouldn't have asked permission to run it. <laughs> that would have been that would have been exclusive. We would have gone. I can and-
1: just tell you it wasn't a close race either.
0: <laughs> so you're legit. You can still swim. You got you get that beautiful stroke. You, can, uh, you went like 5,400 meter free uh, a few years ago. Is that right? That was a
1: few years ago. I got no more pop. It's like... I look like a sloth getting off the blocks. It's just like slow motion. <laughs> and once I get in the water, I'm okay, but it's just a little different body I'm working on right now.
0: Um, so I, we're winding down and I, and I did have some, some something that just is it's interesting to me in terms of, in terms of leadership. Uh, when you're working with young athletes, uh, they're, they're not going to have your decades of experience, worldliness. How are you managing, uh, the, the swimmer's expectations in the Alliance, because this is a marathon, something you experienced personally. How are you managing their expectations?
1: Just trying to listen to them. Um, from that meeting in Budapest, uh, several swimmers had asked, you know, what's going on with the Alliance. I haven't heard anything, uh, lately. So, um, and it's a valid point, you know, even if we're just trying to gain members, uh, this, the swimmer's, have expressed to me more of a, a need to know that uh, the Alliance is out there that we're trying, what we're working on, what we're waiting for. Um, so that's that's um, really the only expectation that I have felt from them is just to keep me informed. Uh, I think there's a great sense of pride. All the swimmers who have joined on have done so because they have some altruistic um, feelings about their participation. They really see this not not just in terms of dollars and in terms of the sport, but more of like a moral argument that this is just this is just the right thing to do. And if some of us pay a price for it, um, certainly you know Oscar Robinson, Johnny Unitas, Gordy Howe, all those guys were trailblazers in athlete representation in the pros in the major sports of the United States, and they paid a price for it. So. I just would like to try to minimize that price and, and again, get back to this idea that we, as all separate entities working together, can create something better than is currently there. It doesn't have to be a win-lose situation. You know, the sum of our parts can be greater than the whole.
0: We have two ISL seasons in the can. A lot of people um, look at one benchmark for success. They look at television ratings. And that's not a fair benchmark. If you understand the sports industry now, uh, it's measured in social reach because, frankly, in this day and age, people are consuming their media in bites. ISL social reach is is extraordinary. It is it is very it is a very large footprint, mostly because all of the athletes are individual ambassadors, pushing ISL content across individual channels. Um. However, so I'm bullish on ISL. However, if ISL uh, doesn't make it, and I'm not saying that's the case. I'm just saying in a scenario where they don't make it, where does the, where does the Alliance stand?
1: I think we stand in the same place that we would, if the ISL continues to be successful, Um, the swimmers will need representation. I mean, FINA's not going anywhere. The Olympics aren't going anywhere. Swimmers aren't going anywhere. Um, and, you know, there's more opportunities open up, um, including opportunities for swimmers to travel abroad if they see fit, um, to do clinics or to do other prize, um, uh, prize earning events or appearance fees, whatever it need be. Um, I think there always will be, an, as long as there's the sport, there's a need for swimmer representation.
0: And Here's a question. You might not be able to answer it, but we're going to, we're going to put it on the table. There was, there was litigation between FINA and ISL and uh, brought by ISL because they weren't allowed to host an event. And it was, um, this was ongoing. My understanding is still ongoing and that it's, it's actually been successful because in in any lawsuit, if you understand a lawsuit, really it's about clarity and, and, and and discovery and, and what are the numbers? So, you know, so you understand your industry. Um, someone who's active in that is Tom Shields, who's on the board. Is uh, is there is there anything that can be said in terms of what's been learned and is if it's actionable information that can that can help the athletes?
1: I'm not involved in the lawsuit, and what I know is is just from public information. it's, if they, it's the case is not sealed, um, and it is a. Um, is a suit in federal court in San Francisco brought by ISL for antitrust behavior regarding the opening of the first season. And the, the suit is ongoing. And what I, what I know is just from public information, the case has not been sealed, um, but it appears as though, um, FINA judge has found some liability from FINA, um, in regards to them antitrust behavior and, um, um trying to suppress the first season in preventing competition from, from going. Um, yeah, I know that Tom has been involved and has given a deposition recently, which I'm sure was very intense for him. So it looks as though, you know, FINA got caught with their hands in the cookie jar and that's probably just going to end up with a settlement That'll break down into two parts. Part of it will go to ISL management for damages lost, and another part will go to the swimmers directly for lost compensation that they would have earned. Which will be a you know um, a nice paycheck for those swimmers who are willing to join up for the first season, and and if they can hang in there long enough, they'll get paid for doing <laughs> not much <laughs> for being a heck of a swimmer. That's what they get paid for.
0: Well. I appreciate the update, and, and you got to keep us posted because this is this is evolving, this is ongoing, and we know it's a marathon. So, will you come back? Of course. All right. All right. That's Thanks, pal.
1: It's been a pleasure.
0: Been a pleasure. That's Matt Biondi, the greatest Olympian of my era, my team captain, and and someone I have I greatly greatly respect. Thanks for being here, buddy.
1: Thanks, pal. All the best.